Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and a big welcome to the show, made possible by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. This week, we're joined by a netball sharpshooter and one of the most decorated players of her generation. Catherine Cox made 108 senior appearances for Australia in a 16-year international career that netted World Championship and Commonwealth Games gold and saw her captain her country. But the fact Kath was a diamond and not a silver fern comes down to a decision her New Zealand-born parents made some 40 years ago, and thank goodness they did. Catherine Cox, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, actually, is it Kath or Catherine? I better get this right off the top. Well, I feel like it's Catherine when I'm in trouble, but it's Kath <laughs> every other day of the week, so let's go with Kath. And, and when you were shooting the lights out, I imagine it was Coxie. It was, yeah, from my teammates. Um, I've been called far worse things, so we can go with any of the above, to be honest. <laughs> how, uh, how readily does your former life, if I can call it that, as a pro come to mind these days? Is it still, does it feel like yesterday? Does it feel like a, a, an eternity ago? It honestly feels like it never happened. Um, I, I moved on very quickly to commentary, and I think once you get to a point like that, you're all about heroing the new talent and the, you know, the superstars that are currently on the court. I don't think anybody ever wants to hear about, oh, when I used to play, blah, blah, blah. If you start a sentence like that, people lose interest very quickly. So it's almost like I didn't play and I just have this great knowledge of our game. Um, it's quite a weird feeling. Almost like, you know, the old back in my day. Yeah, you're right. And you belong to a couple of different teams these days. You mentioned the commentary one, but of course the family as well. Is it Harper? How old's Harper? Yeah, Harper's just turned seven, um, and she's actually just started to get into netball, which is really cute. Oh. Uh, she she tried to put it off for a bit because she just thought, you know, when she thought of netball, she thought of mum having to go to work. But, um, you know, I told her it's not so much about the netball, it's about the social stuff and about having fun with your mates, which is why I played from very start so you mentioned the Fox netball family as well. So you've been behind the mic for a while now, though, haven't you? So I think Channel 9 initially and now Fox. Was it was it something you took to naturally, Kath? No, not at all. I actually, when I retired, wanted to walk well and truly away from the sport. I just felt that, you know, after so long dedicated to it, I wanted to do something else. Um, the thought of doing commentary or coaching were the two things I wanted to escape more than anything. Uh, but it's funny when you think about a new career and having to start at the bottom and then all these people coming back to you and saying, why don't you do this great job starting at the top? You kind of, you know, think, no, it'd probably be a bit silly to walk away from an opportunity like that. So 
my first year out of the game, I went to commentary and coaching. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And, hey, Super Netball coming off such a great season as well. Obviously, West Coast Fever saluting on grand final day. But broadly speaking, Kath, is the domestic scene in good hands and a, and a good space? Oh, look, it's in exceptional hands. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the introduction of the Super Shot in 2020 has been, I think, the best thing for our game domestically. It's just brought back the skill um, and the awesomeness of watching those long-range shots drop, but also encouraged a stack more close games. There's no margin that's too big now for a team to, to draw back with the with the super shot inclusion. So it's been fantastic for our game, and it makes every week exciting. And it's a World Cup year too, actually. So it all goes back on the line in South Africa from July uh, 28. So given we're speaking in a week where the World Cup squad's been announced and all the anticipation and expectation that, that surrounds something like that, does it take you back to some degree? The uh, must be a really anxious time for, for, the, for the girls and the ladies. Yeah, look, it's a tough one because they have uh, 19 squad members selected as of yesterday. Uh, they have to whittle that down to 12. And they'll do that across the second half of the um, Super Netball season. So there's plenty of pressure on these girls to to get those final spots for this World Cup. But even when the team's selected, I'll go as far as to say there's plenty of pressure on this team. Mm. It's the only trophy at the moment that Australia don't hold. Uh, they lost the last World Cup to New Zealand. So mm. um, there's all sorts of pressure on them to try and get it back. Yeah, I read something uh, on Fox Sports, I think it was from Caitlin Thwaites recently, where she spoke of, you know, that word again, the anxiety at times like these. And I suppose so many things have changed for the better, particularly around, I guess, athletes' mental space and the way things are handled. And and Caitlin was recalling our selection used to be announced at the end of training camps and the girls would be called up. And if you were one of the four left seated looking up at the squad, how she said how crappy you'd feel about yourself. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. But we have tried across the years every different way of doing the announcement and there's no good way obviously people are going to be upset um it's tough when you're in the same room as the girls that haven't got selected because you feel like you know even if you're in the team you can't celebrate Mm. um but we used to even stay in our hotel rooms and have a piece of paper shoved under the door so we've tried everything uh and yeah i mean if you're in it's great if you're not there's never a good way to do it i don't mind the note under the door actually that didn't catch on well, it was probably better because then you only had yourself and your roommate. Um, but then, you know, also if you get in and you want to celebrate with somebody else, mm. it's a bit tricky. So uh, I remember the last well, the last time I was dropped from the side, I was rooming with Liz Ellis. And we had planned a trip at the end of the tour. So we had kind of put ourselves in the team already. Um, and I didn't get selected. So... <laughs> so that was an interesting one for us. She was swearing and I was swearing and, you know, we weren't at that moment thinking about the fact that I hadn't been selected. We were thinking about the fact that we weren't going to be able to go to Santorini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that is worth mourning. There's no doubt about that. Hey, and it is, well, I mean, the setbacks along the way, as good as your career was, and we will detail that shortly. I mean, you're overlooked famously, I suppose, for the 98 Com Games and the 99 World Netball Champs. So you are as familiar as anyone with that, you know, deep sense of disappointment that comes at moments like these. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that was at the start of my international Mm. career as well. So whilst I was up there, you kind of think, oh, look, you've also got to do your time, don't you? You've got to um, be better than what you currently are if that's what they're thinking you need to work on. And I wasn't at my best then by any stretch of the imagination. I think I was probably naturally talented, but in terms of uh, work ethic, that was fleeting. Uh, And it was a really good reminder for me to, um, to that I had to work a little bit harder if I wanted to get there and then stay there. 
Well, we're off and running here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. And we'll be back with Catherine Cox right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're with Australian netball legend, Kath Cox. So, Kath, you're born in the far north of the North Island of New Zealand, 1976. You moved south as a baby. What what are your earliest memories of childhood? Yeah, my memory's not the best (laughs) at the best of times. So, I don't remember a whole heap. I probably don't remember much of my childhood, you know, aside from being prompted by photos, I guess. Um, but mum and dad worked extremely hard um, to try and give us opportunities and, um, you know, take us on great holidays as kids and surrounded by family, obviously, in New Zealand. But uh, my first real memory has probably hit when I, um, when I got to Australia at the age of six. What, what did mum and dad do, Francis and Neville, Kath? Um, Mum was a school teacher and dad was in the police force uh, in New Zealand. So, um, you know, it came from a, a pretty sporting background as well. Dad played rugby for the New Zealand police and played for Waikato over there in um, New Zealand. And mum played netball and did gymnastics and a, a bit of everything. So uh, they were pretty gifted and also a bit of a glamour couple. Mum was model and dad was just a bit of a, a spunk as well. So, yeah, I've got some pretty good genes. I'm very lucky. You couldn't lose. I was going to ask you if there was any sporting genes in there. You've given me sport and you've given me glamour. Yeah, I know. I'm very lucky, I must say, with both of them. Not necessarily to say that they've rubbed off on me, but, uh, yeah, mum and dad were... Um, a, a cute little couple from what I've seen from photos way back in the day. No, don't be modest. There's no room for modesty here, Kath. So why did they move to Australia as they did when I think you were six? Was it was it work-related or what was the reason behind the move across the ditch? Yeah, yeah, it was work-related. Dad had left the police force at that stage and got a job over here um, with Yates, other company. So they, they moved over and started the whole new life but a tough one um to move over to a new country not knowing anyone leaving all the family behind with two young kids so i was six and my sister eight years old but uh, this is where we we set up life and um i don't remember ever being in new zealand i certainly don't associate as being a kiwi (laughs) right right okay well we are going to come back to this so you've headed me off at the past but when did netball enter your life Catherine, and how did it do it Oh, yeah, it wasn't until about 11, which is quite late. Um, If you talk to a lot of the Australian players of my generation, they would have started sort of, um, you know, as early as five, six, Mm. seven. Um, So I was late to the game, but because I was doing everything else, you know, the kids just love being active, love playing all sports. And um, I actually went to watch my sister at netball training one day and they weren't so much training as doing cartwheels and gas bagging. And I thought, that, that looks like a sport for me. So I, I signed up straight away and, um, and got stuck in. And from day one, it was a social thing that I absolutely loved. So was this the Hills District Netball Association? Yes, it was. That was my association. I played for initially the West Pennant Hills Netball Club and then the Beecroft Netball Club yeah. and then went on to play all my junior reps with the Hills District. So, so okay, Kath, apart from the cartwheeling and the gas bagging, oh, what was it about the game that you took a shine to, do you reckon? Well, on a 
Honestly, it was all the social stuff. You know, um, I love being on court and, you know, throwing a ball around. And, you know, as kids, we would just spend hours playing shooting games and, you know, someone's house that was lucky enough to have a netball ring out the front of it. We just loved, um, you know, being able to hang out with our mm. mates and do that sort of fun stuff. And then to be able to put it on a court in a game sense. I don't think we really cared about winning and losing back then so much as just being able to get to the netball courts and then dad buying you an ice cream from Mr. Whippy on the way out. That's what it's all about, no doubt. And you mentioned shooting. I mean, was it immediately goal shooter or goal attack? I mean, were you drawn to scoring straight off the bat? No, not at all. I started as a wing attack and uh, once everybody realised I was going to continue to grow, I was thrown into um, the defence then. So I spent all of my junior netball and all of my junior reps playing um, in defence. And it wasn't until I was the age of 16 that one of my coaches at the time thought that, you know, I could probably do better in shooter. But, uh, you know, starting in a new position at that age was tough and trying to hit and find a goal was like, um, you know, it was tough. Yeah, yeah. So you progressed through the ranks and the grades. You represented your state, New South Wales, under 17 level, under 19 and open levels. But you were also, were you not, an AIS scholarship holder as well, Kath? So what did that mean? Did that Was that moving out of home and to Canberra for a time or not? Yeah, I left school um, and moved down to the AIS for a year straight out of school um, and had to remind myself almost daily that I was there as an athlete, not to go and party with my newfound freedom. Um, that was tough, I can assure you. All oh, right, so so you weren't the homesick variety then. You you wanted to get on with it, party no, on. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, you know, you're down there with young athletes that are in exactly the same boat and out of home for the first time and... Um, it is very, very hard to, to stay on track. Um, and we did have a good time while we were down there for sure, but it was great to be able to then be associated with some of the athletes from the different states and the different sports. So just with netball, broadly speaking then, was it, or, or or is it, is it a difficult sport to prove yourself in? Like, how did you make the jump, Kath, to the highest domestic level, which I think then was the Commonwealth Bank trophy, for example? Is it a, a tough bridge to, to get across, or is it the pathway in your time was relatively straightforward? Look, I have to say the pathway for me was straightforward because I was a taller athlete. And it's certainly not the way with a lot of athletes. Um, obviously being the most popular sport for young women and girls, uh, it is really, really tough to get through to the next level. And, you know, I struggled with coordination when I was growing up. I wasn't certainly not the most coordinated. I wasn't the most accurate as a shooter in those years. But um, obviously they saw something in me that they want to persist with. And, you know, if I was a shorter player, I might not have had those second, third, fourth opportunities. So I, I think I was very lucky in that regard to be able to stay in it a little bit longer to be able to prove myself. Mm. And, and domestically, I suppose the Sydney Swifts is where the legend truly started to grow. 135 appearances in the Combank Trophy. I think there were premierships in 04, 06, 07. Uh, there was a run of five successive grand finals, I think, at one stage. Uh, Liz Ellis, the partnership with Susan Prattley, the five successive teams of the year. We could go on and on, but these must have been memorable times. That was the best time for me, and I put that down to a lot down to that that team. And I think we were very fortunate in some ways in that we weren't professional back then, because players stayed in the one team for a mm. long time. There was no poaching of athletes because there was massive money on offer. That meant that we could build something really special. But you also had these really great mates and their partners. So they're, you know, we'd often go away to play a game and all the partners would come and we'd make a big weekend of it. Something that you just can't do these days.
um, but also Julie Fitzgerald, the best coach that I ever had hands down, and, and she was my coach during that golden period. Um, and the reason she was so good is that she was a single mum with four kids and she just got it. She got that there was more to life than netball. Um, and so she didn't put a, a, ma- a massive amount of pressure on us as athletes uh, just focusing on the netball game. She knew that we had so much more going on in our lives. That's interesting, isn't it? That, that well, I guess, life experience, as it were. And, and the ANZ Championship era, Kath, that you captain the Swifts, uh, you won the inaugural championship in 08, you're sixth in a row, I think, MVP the whole bit. Um, you know, the, the journey at Sydney, given it was your form there that opened the door, I guess, to the national team, which we'll get to shortly. But just with the Swifts, did it did it end on sour terms in, in, in the very end? Oh, it ended on horrendous terms. Um, I was dropped, basically. There was a new coach that came in after Julie Fitzgerald uh, left the club and she was also asked to leave. Um, you know, we had just come off, as you say, the back of a glorious period of time. We were winning grand finals. Um, you know, I was currently the vice captain of the Australian side and playing really great netball. And, um, you know, we both were shown the door. Julie first um, entered the new coach um, and she just didn't sound overly enthusiastic to me when I spoke to her. And I said to her one day, you know, do you actually see me in this team? Because I'm not getting that vibe. And she said, to be honest with you, no, I don't. And so, you know, that was really tough for me because I would have played with the Swifts to the end. That was my club. That was my family. And, and to have that sort of, you know, someone come in from nowhere and make those sort of decisions was really heartbreaking for me. But I thought, I can't stay in a club like that where I know I'm really not wanted. And so I made the decision to leave. And, at, you know, looking back, maybe I should have just stuck it out. But, um, you know, I made the decision at that point to move to the West Coast and play a couple of years over there. Mm. So this was all came to a head, didn't it, in 2011? I think there was an internal review. Never good when the word review is mentioned, by the way. And No. You said, I think, that it distracted the team and actually that it was responsible for, for the Swifts losing that year's, you know, minor semi-final. It, it played that big a role. Oh, 100% it did. They were they were not a happy camp. Um, needless to say, that coach that took over only lasted that one year. Now, this, uh, this, was, the, this was Lisa, yeah? Yeah, Lisa Behag. Um, so it was shown the door pretty quickly after that and put a real blink on the record of the Swifts and, and the feeling in the place, which is really sad after what we'd built. Um, but anyway, they obviously had to rebuild from there again and uh, and they went on to, to do so really well. So I think you followed Julie to, to the fever, didn't you? She was there, you went with her and then uh, Melbourne Vixens for your 2014 Swan Song. Now, the, I love this, Kath. So you're 38, you become something of a super sub in your final campaign. Yeah, that was really, really hard for me. I don't mind being on the bench and I will always be supportive no matter what situation I'm in. The hard part was trying to play the role of an impact player when all I had done my career mm. was start the game and play the whole game. Um, and I had to work out how to how to do that. And Simone McInnes, the coach of the Melbourne Vixens at the time, was fantastic in helping me to do that. Um, and I remember her saying, I know this is hard for you, but we can't win this without you. I know we can't win this without you. And she just kept saying that. And I was thinking at the time, yeah, that's all nice, but you know, I'm on the bench half the time. That's clearly not the case. Um, but it turns out that that was the case right in that very last game of the year. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I was just going to take you to this last game because she didn't just say it, but she she delivered on it as as well, Simone. So your Vixens are up 37-34 heading to the last quarter of the ANZ Championship Grand Final against the Firebirds in this 2014 Swan Song for you. Now, safe to say you don't think you're coming on. I mean, uh, Karen Bailey being on target, 17-22, performed well. Goal attack, Tegan Caldwell, I think, might have even been a clear best on, ground, uh, best on court at that stage. And then Simone turns to you and says, Kath, you're on. Yeah, look, I wasn't expecting it at all. And it, it was weird because in a moment like that, you'd think you'd feel sick. I actually felt the calmest I've ever felt in my career because I just thought, do you know what? I've done the work. I've done. I've behaved in a manner, a certain manner, the whole way through my career. I, I actually deserve the swan song and I deserve the fairy tale ending. And I just had this calm about me that was really, really odd. So I just went on to play the game. Um, and just enjoy the moment. And, yeah, we, we won it, and it was amazing. Yeah, six of seven for you and, and several key goals down the stretch as well, and you won the final term 16-8. What a way to bow out. There were tears everywhere, weren't there? Can you, it was a bit emotional. Yeah, it was, because I'm not one for looking at the scoreboard. So, I, you know, towards the end of the game, I was, oh, God, I know it's going to be close to the end of the game, and I don't exactly know what the margin is here. So I had a cheeky look, and there was about a minute to go, and I saw that we had enough of a buffer that we would win the game. And then I just completely lost it uh, before the game had finished. So I think the last minute or so I was a bit useless. I couldn't really see what was happening. But that was just the whole emotion finally coming out and yeah. realising that, you know, I got the fairy tale of my last game. Cox, too strong over Geitz. Rocks back and delivers. Cox, oh, standing into Cornwall for four in a row. My McInnes. Starting to sink in. Marl in the coffin. The Vixens finally prove they've got what it takes when it matters. The final score, 53 to 42. Great final match. How do you feel in this moment? I'm doing my very best not to lose it again. Um, I looked up at the scoreboard with about a minute and a half to go and lost it straight away. So um, I missed the last couple of shots, couldn't see what I was doing. It's very dramatic. Um, you know, look, it's just, it's what dreams are made of. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't be happier right now. It's been an amazing year and... <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Tell us about some of the, the great moments that you've had. Obviously, this year at the Phoenix, oh, sorry, at the Melbourne Vincents, has probably been a little bit tough for you, sitting on the bench, but your role in coming off the bench and playing that impact, you embraced it, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it was very tough for me at the start. It was the first time my whole career I've missed a game by sitting on the bench, and that was extremely tough, but I'm not going to be that person that sits on the bench and wallows. I'm going to do whatever I have to do, and if that's being cheery and, and encouraging, then, you know, that's what I get to do, and you know, I have my opportunities to come on. I just have to try and do the best with it, even if it's only a quarter. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was certainly lovely for Simone to give me an opportunity to finish on court today. And what was it like being with the Vixens this year, a new team in the final year of your career? What was it like? Oh, look, amazing. They are, they are a team that just does everything above and beyond on and off the court. Um, so professional. They're all about to throw things at me, so I take that all back. <laughs> Perhaps not. <laughs> 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 
Any final words on in your last moment? Oh, look, I just, I, I just want to thank everyone that's been a part of it. Um, you know, my family's been there the whole time. I've made so many mates, and you are certainly one of them, Sherelle. So it's, um, it's, it's just been an amazing ride, and I won't stray that far away from the game because I just love it too much. Well, it's lovely to see the emotion. Congratulations on what has been such a fantastic career. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful ending. You don't often get an ending like that. Uh, we're with netball legend Catherine Cox here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. The international side to Kath's amazing career is up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today, we have the company of netball world champ and Commonwealth Games gold medalist, Catherine Cox. So, Cathy made five successive teams of the year in those early days at the Swifts, and it Caught the eye of national selectors. Now, you make your debut for Australia at the age of 21, South Africa, Perth. The year is 1997. A dominant win. How much of this do you remember? I was testing your memory earlier. Do you remember your first game for the Diamonds? Not a single part of it. (laughs) I'm really bad. I I was never one of those players that would worry about stats or, um, you know, would need to know everything. And quite often still now, I, I have a guy that I know that's great with the stats and I'm often texting him saying, how many games did I play again? Or what was the year that I, you know, because I just can't remember. I think for the majority and for, for 16 years, a lot of it just morphed together. <laughs> so how, maybe you'll remember this. Did you appreciate, I mean, how steep was the jump from your domestic scene at that point to international level? Or was the, or is the domestic scene just so strong it just purely depends on who you're playing against for Australia? Oh, look, I think we were in a pretty good position then domestically already. And the fact that I was training on the best goalkeeper in the world every single week, I think, had me in pretty good shape um, going into the international stuff. Obviously, um, Liz Ellis is a pretty tough opponent at the best of times. So, um, you know, I think I was semi-prepared. But obviously, when you come up against the likes of a New Zealand, it's... And back then we weren't playing them that often and they weren't playing in our competition. So it was kind of just a new style of play um, that you'd have to get your head around uh, pretty quickly. But there were certainly some really tough opponents in, in my career, certainly against New Zealand. Now, the inevitable challenges individually along the way, Kath, I mean, um, before all the golds, and we touched on it earlier, uh, came the obviously the selection snub at the start of your international career for the Commonwealth Games in, in Kuala Lumpur and 98. I mean, how disappointing was that uh, missing out in the Commonwealth Games at, at the time? I mean, you put some context around it earlier, but when you're a young uh, young one coming through, you're not really thinking like that. I'd imagine you'd be pretty disappointed. Oh, yeah. Look, I threw my toys for days. I was, you know, I thought I should have been there, la, la, la. But when you sit back in the light of day and have a think about it, was I the fittest? No. Was I the fastest? No. Was I the most accurate? No, I wasn't. So um, I, the best thing that could have happened to me was that I was dropped from that Australian side because at that point I did a bit of soul searching and realised that I had so much work to do to be the best and you really do need to be the best because you want to stay in the team. You don't want to be the fourth best because then you're in and out of the side and it's going to be hard work for your career. So um, I went back and did a lot more work. I got myself a lot fitter um, and 
you know, really got myself in the shape that I could be selected again. And then to try and stay there too, I think is, you know, even bigger challenge. Just on that soul searching, how real or how much thought did you really give to moving back across the ditch to represent New Zealand? Oh, look, it came up. They um, they asked me the question if I would consider playing for them. And for a nanosecond, I did consider it um, until they said that I would have to move back to New Zealand and reside there. Uh, and at that point, I had made myself very comfortable in Australia and um, you know, pulled the pin on on that then. But there's also a ruling in place that you can't play um, for a different country uh, within the four years if you go to a world championship. So that would mean I was ruled out of the diamonds for, for quite a long time after that. And I, I wanted to pursue that one. Right, fair enough. And you couldn't, I don't think, break in for the 99 World Netball Champs either. So what opened the door again for you, do you think? Was there a moment or a period of form? What What, what, what opened the door back up for you? Yeah, look, the end of that um, that '99 probably domestic season, um, I you know found some good form and I think some good combinations uh, in club lands, and I think you know went on as you say a five five year run of being goal shooter of the year. So that stuff's pretty hard to ignore, and I think the Swiss really started to find our mojo as as well then, and started to um, get some big wins and some grand final experience and. You know, all those sort of big game moments that make a big difference to to you and I guess to have under your belt was pretty important for the Australian selectors as well. So just a bird's eye view of your resume, Kath. So three Netball World Cups, three Commonwealth Games, two World Cup gold, one Commonwealth Games gold. What was the highlight? I'm sure you get asked this a bit, but is there a lasting memory that you come back to? Yeah, I'd have to go my first big international tournament, which was the Manchester 2002 Commonwealth Games. And that game went to extra time, actually double extra time. We didn't know that at the time. It was all very confusing at the end of that game. Um, and we just kept playing and playing and looking at the scoreboard going, what the hell is happening? Why are we still playing this game? Um, and didn't realise that we'd ticked over into double extra time. Uh, to win that then and against New Zealand was um, in one of those classic games was uh, one of the best moments. Oh, oh Ellis. Ellis. Lizzie Ellis. Enormous defence. Australia on the attack. They won't waste time. Too much pride. They won't eat it up. They'll just keep attacking. 55. Australia's ball. This will put it beyond doubt. Timeout called to mop up the floor. <laughs> it's not the one we want. <laughs> we want a timeout, but of a different quality. I'm, I'm, the timing has got me lost here. Okay, McMahon pauses for breath. 56 55. 57 55, and that is it. <laughs> Play continued beyond the full time because the score was dead level. One team had to win by two. That's the reason the clock oh, they kept, kept ticking. Going. A shame they didn't tell anybody. Would have been nicer for the tellers. <laughs> Australia have won. And then 2007, I'd have to say the World Cup in New Zealand. Um, Liz Ellis had confided in me that she was going to retire at the end of that uh, tournament, but hadn't told a soul, hadn't told anyone else. So to be playing with the pressure of wanting to give her the fairy tale as well was um, was tough. But to then see her get it at the end was um, a moment that I will never forget. They'll play it slow now, Australia. They'll run the clock down a touch if they can. The Silver Ferns have to man up 
and have a go at the ball if they can. They need a turnover. She's kept it in place. It's gone to McMahon. Henry called for the contact. Everyone is so desperate out there. Time is slipping by here for New Zealand. Australia regains the knees. They have to turn this ball over. They land this. The game is over. Yes, the Australian bench is pumping. They know they won this one. We just embraced each other and hung on for uncomfortably long looking back at that vision, but it was a really special moment for the two of us. <laughs> and in the three silvers, obviously, New Zealand, you mentioned them, they got you in all of those finals. I mean, what, can I just ask you about your attitude towards playing New Zealand? Was it hatred when you played them, even with your family history, or is that way too strong? Oh, look, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter, so I don't ever hate, and I don't ever get myself to that point. Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't see it as winning silver. I see it as losing gold every single one of those those moments. And particularly the one that haunts me to this day is the one in Delhi at the Commonwealth Games against New Zealand mm. because I had two shots to win the game and win the gold medal, and I missed them both. Um, and then they went on to win the game. Here we go, Diamond! Finds Von Berto. Cox trying to offer. Back to McMahon again. Cox gets it now. Can the veteran put it away? No, she can't. Williams will come back with it. There is 15 seconds left for play. New Zealand will win gold if they score this goal. And Van Dyke moving the circle, posting up. Just any other goal, that'll be the way to look at it. McMahon called. Kiwis reset and Van Dyke in the hot spot. Uses Langman, nice narrow channels, and then the pocket to Timapara George. This is the shot. This is it. Ah, you it. little beauty! <laughs> the Silver Ferns have done it. They have defended their Commonwealth Games title. And they have done so after an epic encounter against the world champions, Australia. It was tied up at the end of the game. It was tied up after two seven-minute periods of extra time. Desolation for the world champions, Australia. So those, those sort of moments haunt you for, forever. And, um, you know, I often think about, oh, I wish I could have that shot again, just to, you know, give it a bit more time or to, you know, take my time, take a deep breath, whatever it was. But, um, you know, eventually I'll get over that, I'm sure. Oh, no, I can appreciate there'd be agonising moments that are hard to let go of. But it was always you at one end and, and the dead eye, Irene Van Dyke, at the other. Yeah, I mean, she and she's the nicest human being <laughs> you will ever meet. So... Irene actually came over and did a stage show with us. We had a, um, a Centurion stage show that we did that had Sherelle McMahon, Liz Ellis and myself, and we did that in Australia, but had Irene come and join us for one of them. And she's just a great human being. And, uh, of course, 
one of the greatest ever played in the game, and she will hold the, the most te- test caps, um, I think, of all time. She was around for a long time for South Africa previously, going to New Zealand, and, um, yeah, one of the greats. Yeah, she was just a killer on the court, though, wasn't she? She might be nice off her, but she was ruthless on it, was my memory. Yeah, she was. Her and Liz got into some really big battles that I absolutely love, but also would have a giggle and have a little chuckle when, you know, something funny happened together. So um, there was certainly white line fever amongst the two of them, but they also were very chill and appreciated just, you know, what they were doing and, and enjoyed the moment as much as possible too. It's great to have your company right here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tubman Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with Kath Cox shortly. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Our guest today has been netball legend and Sport Australia Hall of Famer, Catherine Cox. Kath, you've said this before. You said it earlier in our chat that when you were playing, you never looked at the scoreboard. I mean, is that legit? Surely you glanced up there from time to time. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Every time I say that, people are like, are you crazy? But my thinking was, I don't need the pressure of the scoreboard when I've got everything else I'm trying to think about on the court, I every time I have the ball in my hands, I'm trying to do the absolute best I can with it, regardless of what's happening on the scoreboard. So it was kind of irrelevant. But yes, there were some stressful moments at the end of games when I would look up and try and work out if we had won it or not. Um, but yeah, I just felt like it wasn't something I needed to really concern myself with too much throughout the game. That's really interesting. And and look, in those games, in the big games, you performed far more often than not. So you, your performances in grand finals, I think you played in seven of them, won five. This is domestically. I mean, personally, you delivered in just about all. And there was a, a 41 of 46 effort, obviously 89% in 2008 for the Swifts. Delivering under pressure, Kath, what's your advice to people there? Well, look, I was not great at that. In fact, I had a real case of the yips um, in about 2000 and I actually thought it was going to be the end of my career because I, I didn't know how I was going to get myself out of it. And I thought, if I can't shoot goals, what is the point of me? Mm. Oh, that's my job. Um, so that was probably the first time I really started to see the benefits um, in uh, the mental side of what we were doing as athletes, um, you know, and started to talk to sports bikes and, you know, to really give um, that side of my game, the time that it deserves. Um, and I'll be the first one to say to players now, if you feel like you're not coping, don't let it get to where I got to because it's really hard to get yourself back from those sort of depths. Um, but get on top of it really quickly. And it's the, the mind is such a powerful thing that it plays a very big part in professional sport. Yeah, and I suppose in the professional age, if I can call it that, you know, there's more resources available to the athletes now, in netball included. And I suppose dealing with expectation, Kath, the week-to-week, maybe the anxiety or the performance anxiety, as it's known, did, did you have strategies to deal with that? Oh, look, once I got on top of it, no. Um, it, I was more of a paralysis by analysis kind of person, so I didn't think too much. And people often say that you know, I was one of the fastest shooters in the comp because I turned and I shot. And I feel like, you know, if you do the amount of training and you've got that under your belt, it should just be a natural thing that you can do without having to think too much. 
Um, and, you know, I, I've, look, honestly, if my daughter grows up to be a goal shooter, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> it, it, I don't know how my parents coped with the stress of having a child that is playing in goals and, and the pressure that is associated with whether they're thinking goals or not. In the latter stages of career, I think you once said, or you once claimed to be in good nick for an old girl. Um, <laughs> what what was the fitness regime that you live by? Was there a, a set of non-negotiables that you wanted to maintain? Oh, look, I just wanted to, you know, as you mentioned before, I retired at the age of 38. Um, and I just wanted to be able to be there and be considered as everyone else. I didn't want anyone to be thinking that I was too old, it was time to go, anything like that. So just to be on the same level as everyone else, um, not any special privileges because I was a little bit older or anything like that. So um, I just worked as hard as, as everybody else did and, you know, probably did a few more extra things behind the scenes as I got older, you know, extra massages or acupuncture or whatever it was to try and stay on top of it and give my body the best opportunity to recover before the week after. Toughest opponent? Oh, there's been a few. I mean, yeah. you can't go past Liz Ellis at training. And, you know, if you ever dare sort of complaining, she would, you know, smack you around the chops a bit and pull your head in. You're not going to get any sympathy from me and you won't get it from the umpires either. So she was the best, I think, in terms of understanding the physicality that was required, but also that sort of mental strength that was required and being able to keep you calm. Now, you're one of only four in the Centurions Club, and you, you mentioned the stage show you guys had running for a little while there. Now, players to obviously earn 100 caps or more for Australia, and, and I think two of them are your very good friends in, in Liz, obviously, and Sherelle McMahon. So if I was to ask you most talented teammate, how would you navigate that curly one? <laughs> well, they're all talented in different areas, aren't they? Sherelle <laughs> um, McMahon, though, was just the goat in attack in terms of, you know, um, her athletic ability and her confidence and her mongrel. My gosh, I've never met anyone with such white line fever as Sherelle McMahon. And I would often, you know, I'd be playing alongside of her, but sometimes some of the things she would do, I'd almost want to clap. I'm like, focus during the game. This is for the match. Um, she she was amazing and um, so awesome to see her still recognised. Uh, there was a statue just unveiled um, out the front of John Kane Arena in Melbourne of her, which I think is just fantastic. Yeah, it was. They did a great job of it. Hey, Kath Cox, thanks so much for joining us today. What a career, what a journey of sustained excellence, really, and what an inspiration I'm sure you've been for generations to follow. So congratulations on everything you've done and, and thanks again for joining us. Oh, and thank you. And it's been a nice trip down memory lane. So thanks for that too. And thank you for joining us. Also, you've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Of course, you can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.